Jesus, this morning, we ask that we are a people who remember that our attention and our love and our joy is focused in you and in who you are. We pray these things in your name. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning, Church of the Cross. My name is Kimberly, and I am one of the priests here. And this morning, I have the privilege of preaching on some text that is kind of hard. Um, I think when Peter and I were talking this week, he might have even used the word gnarly to describe some of it. Um, So next week, I'm actually off. Um, Originally, I was supposed to preach next weekend. There was a moment of like, ooh, maybe I don't want to take next Sunday off and would rather preach then. But here we are. Um, So yeah. So I have learned a lot, though, I will say, as I have explored and just dug into this parable, especially in Luke. But so much of this morning's text is challenging, as you heard it read earlier by Bob, and as Peter read the gospel, and as we read the psalm together, you may have heard some things in there that made you a little bit uncomfortable. There might have been some things that caused you to ask questions, like, what was Jesus doing? What was he thinking? Um, What is... This, um, what in Amos, when the prophet Amos says, hear this, you who trample the needy and do away with the poor of the land, that may have caused discomfort in you. You may have paused and asked yourself, what does that mean? The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, an individual has not started living until he can rise above the narrow confines of his individualistic concerns to the broader concerns of all humanity. Well, as we dive in today's text, we are primarily going to focus on Luke 16, verses 1 through 13. And as we do that, I want you to keep a question at the forefront of your mind. And I want that question to be, to whom are we responsible? And then specifically, as we are here listening and thinking through and learning through this parable, to whom is the manager responsible? So as I already stated, this parable in Luke, the parable of the shrewd or the wise manager, it's not the easiest to understand. Many of the commentaries I read talked about it being one of the hardest to understand. It's difficult, it's confusing, and so on. And so I will say to you, and this is true for so much of our faith, we're not going to leave here today with everything answered. The hope and the prayer is that we leave here today maybe wrestling with some of what we heard from the text but we're not going to leave feeling like things are kind of tied in a perfect bow. I'm going to do a quick review of this parable, partially for myself, but also for you all. And so I want, as we're reviewing this, I want you to keep that question again in the forefront of your mind. To whom is the manager responsible? So to review, a rich man, if, you th- if you're thinking in today's context, think of maybe like a CEO, somebody who owns a lot of property, He was told that his manager was squandering his property, or as some translations put it, he was told that that his manager was wasting his possessions. The rich man summons the manager to him and essentially fires him on the spot. He doesn't give him the opportunity to defend himself. He doesn't ask questions. We don't know how the rich man found out about this. Whoever he found out about it from was likely somebody who had more social status or privilege than this manager. And so he went based on what he was told and fired him then and there. The manager knows that he needs to think quickly and kind of be on his feet and think in his best interest. So he devises a plan. He proceeds to meet with the rich man's debtors and he reduces what each of them owe. 
They owe things like olive oil to the rich man, wheat. And by doing so, it is the manager's hope that he will make friends and build community, which he will need now that he is out of a job. So up to this point, the parable seems pretty straightforward, right? That all seems to make sense. But then in verse 8, it takes a turn. The rich man compliments the manager, calling him wise. And then Jesus also seems to do the same, complimenting him, saying that children of this, complimenting the children of this age for making wise decisions and saying that they are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than children of the light, which means people who follow Jesus. So what are we to do with this? Speaking of children. Um, We are likely left wondering why Jesus praised this dishonest or shrewd manager. We're also probably wondering why the manager complimented him for squandering his money yet again. Part of the shock value of this text, though, it rests on the assumption that the manager has certain responsibilities to the rich man. So his dishonesty means a loss of income for his boss, the rich man. And this can be rightly seen as dishonesty. It can be rightly seen that the manager was dishonest. But the assumption there is that this is a system that is just and fair. As is often the case through Jesus' teachings, we have to take into consideration the context. For most of us, when we hear someone else's story, our tendency, typically not on purpose, is to read our own culture, our own experiences into it. And so without thinking, when we hear this story, we're likely thinking about it as it might affect us or what it might look like for us or today. But in order to better understand the second part of this parable, verses 8 and on, we also have to have a better understanding of the first and the actual context in which this was happening. Well, in this world, in the Roman Empire, the economics were that rich landlords and rulers were essentially loan sharks. They charged excessive interest rates to gain more land and more money, and in doing so, they were disinheriting peasants and their families, the poor, and the lowly. It's important to note, too, that this was in direct violation of covenant law, which did not allow this, the charging of unfair interest. So given this background, it is likely that the rich man and the manager were probably exploiting the peasants, the people who owed these debts. In his book, Jesus for Fishers and Farmers, which I highly recommend, Gary Paul Nabin says, to be sure, the people of the rural villages in Galilee were not just about catching fish, baking bread, and fermenting wine. They also had to deal with a trinity of poverty, pain, and oppression. In Jesus' day, job-seeking farm workers might stand for hours with their sickles in hand, waiting in the shade of the carob tree on the edge of the village for some foreman to hire them. A crooked manager might hire harvesters, hoping to cheat both his boss and the workers by undervaluing their work. An aristocrat might have demanded the payment of a docking fee for fishermen who hauled their catch ashore at his landing area. This is likely the backdrop for today's parable, a system that is unfair and unjust, where the poor and the lowly are being taken advantage of. 
unjust systems existed in the Roman Empire, and of course, as we know, they still exist today. I can't help but think when I hear the story of day laborers, well, most of them are incredibly skilled people. They don't have many employment options. They often work demanding jobs like roofing and construction, but with little protection. The nature of their work means that they have lower job security, they often mispay, and they're often taken advantage of. And many of them deal with issues like poor working conditions, with nobody there to really defend them. So perhaps the system in which the manager was operating was not just or fair. It's possible that when the manager collected debts for the rich man, whatever he collected above what was owed to his boss was paid directly to the manager as his wages. As Dr. Richard Horsley describes, to integrate himself with the debtors, he had them change the amount they owed on their bills to exactly the amount that they borrowed, eliminating the hidden prohibited interest. So this changes the story a bit, if we think of it in this way. If we consider that the people who owed these debts owed a certain amount, but then in order for the manager to make his own profit and money, he charged above that. So when we think about this, and we think about the idea that perhaps the manager was dismissing debt that was money owed to him, he may have actually walked away from this, not collecting money, but also not cheating, so to speak, the rich man out of money owed to him. It's still difficult to know exactly why the rich man complimented him. It could be because he was truly impressed with how wise or shrewd the manager was. But it may also be that the rich man realized that he needed to at least appear to be observing the covenantal laws and so then he commanded, commended the manager. Does this shift how you might answer the question to whom is the manager responsible? At first, our thought might have been, well, of course, the manager is responsible to the rich man, his boss. He needs to get him the money that he is owed. But once we begin to hear about the system that they are operating within, about the fact that these peasants were paying more than they actually owed, it might change who we think the manager is responsible to. And when we think about this applied to some of our own circumstances, it is a reminder that we are not responsible to unjust systems, that a part of what we are called to is to question and to subvert unjust systems and dishonest things that are happening, dishonest wealth, which is what we see in this story. We see the manager having a decision between what he does with dishonest wealth and making a decision that is responsible to these people and not his manager, and a decision that leaves him without money, but his hope being that it leaves him with community and friends and connection when he's lost his employment. So I ask again, who are we responsible to? Are we first responsible to political leaders' ideologies, our individual needs, our idols, such as power or wealth or influence? Or are we first responsible to God and the ways of the kingdom of heaven? Are we first responsible to our neighbors, to love of neighbor, to the ways of Jesus? 
Many of the problems that existed in the Roman Empire, they are present with us today. People are still taxed unfairly. Many, especially the poor, are taken advantage of by predatory payday loans, by high interest rates on student loans. People are exploited by the powerful, the wealthy, by political leaders. Every day, people created in the image of God are fleeing their homeland because of persecution, war, and oppressive governments. In fact, this past week, we heard stories in our own state of people who were legally seeking asylum, being sent to another state with the false promise of jobs and of housing. And so as Christians, we are to have a different response. We are not to respond and to go along with dishonest ways or dishonest wealth. Scripture directly addresses this in so many places. In Leviticus 19, verse 33, it says, specifically related to the foreigner, when a foreigner lives in your land, don't take advantage of him. Treat the foreigner the same as as a native. Love him like one of your own. Remember that you were once foreigners in Egypt. I am God, your God. Today's parable addresses a rich man taking advantage of peasants. And while, of course, we have a responsibility to be ethical people and honest people as followers of Jesus, we also have a responsibility to examine the systems that we are a part of and that we participate in. We have a responsibility to think about the work, the vocation, the things that we are called to, and to think about it in the ways that Jesus might have us. In Psalm 138, it says that though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. We are called to that as well. A large part of Jesus' ministry and teachings were around reviving the villages, forgiving debt, both financial debt and otherwise. Think about relationships, the relationships that Jesus built and encouraged people to have. Jesus gave people new hope a hope that was not put in the powers and principalities of the day, but a hope in him. And this is good news for all of us, both rich and poor. In Luke, we see the healing of relationships, including economic relationships. We see it in this passage today. Jesus repeatedly warns us that we cannot be disciples while accumulating wealth at the expense of the poor. When we answer the call to follow Jesus, one of the things that we are following him into is love of neighbor. There are many ways that we can engage in this, but in relation to today's passage, and in light of considering how we are responsible to God and to others, it's important to consider how we practice neighbor love in economic relationships and in the midst of unjust structures. And this is true for all of us. We all have a vocation, something that we're called to. We may make money doing it. We may not. But we have areas where we have influence and where the economy is involved. One of the areas of ministry that I've spent some time in is faith and work. And it's kind of this idea that oftentimes for pastors and ministry leaders, we disconnect our faith and our work. We think of them as very separate, when actually, as followers of Jesus, they are very integrated, or we should think of them in that way. Our faith should inform the work that we do, the work that we are called to. But oftentimes, in sort of these faith work circles, they tend to be very kind of white-collar focused. 
They tend to forget about those who are marginalized. It doesn't often talk about people who are in blue-collar work or sort of the trade skills, things like that. And similarly, conversations around mercy and justice are not typically there. And just like we can't talk about our faith and our life as Christians without thinking about mercy and justice and the mercy and justice of God, we cannot think about faith and work without also thinking about the integration of mercy and justice. And so some of the work that I've been doing is how do we help people, all of us, because we all have some type of vocation, to begin to think about what does it look like to be bringers of mercy and justice in those spaces. And we see that in today's parable. We see that with the manager. While it might kind of be at the last minute, we see him beginning to think about what does it look like to do something different with this dishonest wealth that has been collected. And some of the work that I do, I get to hear these stories of people doing this in real life, and I don't know about you, but it's always helpful for me to hear examples. One story that I love is a man named Thomas Hunter, and he works in the correctional system in Nashville. And one of the things that he noticed as people were brought into jail there was that so many of them were suffering from mental illnesses. And oftentimes they were put right into the general population with no consideration about the mental illness that they were struggling with. Oftentimes it was first-time offenders. They weren't receiving support for their mental health, assessment for that, or anything. And so one of the things that Thomas has done is he help, has helped create a behavior a behavioral care center at the jail. So now when someone is a first-time offender and brought in, if they present with any type of mental illness, they are sent to a behavioral health center rather than directly to treatment or to prison. They receive treatment. There is a, the reminder there that there is a possibility of redemption and rehabilitation for these people. Another example is a friend of mine named Tina. And Tina is a seminary student, but is also a server. So she's worked for years as a server and a bartender. It's kind of one of those areas you might think, mercy, justice, faith, work, how do you integrate those things in that space? And one of the things that Tina noticed among her colleagues was a lot of conversation around who they would serve and how they would serve them. And the tendency was to give better service to people who seemed as if they would tip better. And so Tina made this decision that to, to the best of her ability, she would provide amazing service to people who others wouldn't, who others might assume wouldn't provide a good tip. And in doing so, Tina was bringing this sort of foretaste of the kingdom of heaven, right, to people who might not always be seen or treated the same when they ate out at a restaurant. What are the unjust systems and structures that you notice in your place of work, in your neighborhood, in the places that you maybe volunteer, or purchase goods? And how can you practice love of neighbor in those places? How can you subvert the system? How can you do something that is honoring of God with dishonest wealth or dishonest practices? I think that those are some of the questions that we are left with today when we consider this passage, when we consider why it is that first the manager commended the, sorry, first the rich man commended the manager, but why Jesus commended the manager? Jesus saw something different here than we might see at first glance. And we know that he had so much to say about wealth and relationships and how we treat others. Today's parable is just a portion of Jesus' teaching on this topic, such a small sliver of it. 
Throughout the Gospel of Luke, his ministry invokes the biblical concept of jubilee, which we also heard about in Amos today, and debt forgiveness. This is really significant in our faith and as our life as Christians, how we consider debt, especially these unfair debts that are all around us. How can we as Christians be aware of what is happening? Instead of using dishonest wealth to exploit others, much like the rich man did, we are to use wealth to the benefit of others. And we are to use it in ways that will be surprising, that others will notice, and in noticing this might draw them closer to Jesus and to knowing who he is. Releasing debts, flipping unjust systems, and so on. This doesn't only enrich the poor, but it also establishes a new kind of reciprocity. We are responsible first and foremost to God. Our debts have been forgiven. God has exampled this for us. We are in covenant and relationship with him. In Luke, reversal of status is at the heart of what happens when Jesus and the kingdom of God appear. We see this throughout the gospel of Luke. We see it in the parable of the prodigal son. We see this reversal of status, something that is surprising, someone who we don't expect to be forgiven and welcomed in. The proud are scattered and the powerful are brought down and the lowly are lifted up in the gospel of Luke. The hungry are filled, the rich are sent away, empty. And this, my friends, is good news for all of us. And it is a reminder about how we are to leave this space today. We are to leave this space today remembering that a part of our call is to lift up the lowly, to see those who others don't see flip dishonest wealth on its side, and to think creatively about what it might mean to be loving our neighbors, and to think creatively about what we might do if we were in a situation like the manager. So I encourage you all to be thinking this week about those things, and also to be asking yourself or keeping in your head that question of to whom are we responsible? and keeping God at the center of that, Jesus at the center of who we are responsible to. Amen.